0: Gentry, thank you for leading us in worship. Robbie, thank you for that great word. And today, I want to talk to you guys about strongholds. A stronghold is a thought process. Sometimes it seems logical. Sometimes it's illogical. Sometimes it's rational. Sometimes it's irrational. But a stronghold is a thought process that prevents you from moving forward. A stronghold is a craving of the heart it's the lust of the flesh sometimes it's carefully concealed and disclosed or sometimes it's it's disclosed and it goes before you and and you can't hide it but it's a lust of the flesh it's a craving of the heart that keeps you in bondage a stronghold is a pit it's a rut That perhaps you have sworn over and over and over and over again that you would never, ever, ever fall back into that pit, and yet you fall back into that pit again and again and again and again. That's a stronghold. Do you have a stronghold? What makes strongholds so difficult are that once a stronghold is in your life, you can't just willpower your way out of it. Once a stronghold is in your life, you can't just pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and break away from it, because a stronghold is a spiritual condition. So before we go any further, I just want to make three general statements about this thing called strongholds as we're in a spiritual warfare series. The first statement is that you cannot ignore the spiritual battle that you're in. The second statement is you cannot remain neutral in the spiritual battle. And the third statement, if you try to ignore the battle or if you try to remain neutral in the battle, you will give the enemy a stronghold in your life. The first overarching statement before we move forward, you cannot ignore the spiritual battle. We talked about this verse last week, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You're in a battle, I'm in a battle, and there's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. There's two great errors in approaching spiritual warfare. One is to deny its existence, and the second is to become unhealthily obsessed with it. But we are in a spiritual battle, and so we have to learn how to fight with spiritual weapons. Because everything that you see, everything that you feel, everything that's going on in your life is preceded by something spiritual and invisible. Therefore, if you want to touch things and affect things in the physical and visible world that you see, you have to first learn how to touch things and move things and affect things in the spiritual and invisible world that you don't see, and that in turn moves things in the physical and visible world. You're in a spiritual battle, and you can't ignore it. Second, you're in a spiritual battle, and you cannot stay neutral. If you try to stay neutral in this spiritual battle, you will give place to the enemy. Jesus said, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he goes on to say about this battle of demons and angels and God's forces and Satan's forces, this titan colossal collision that you are, and I are in the middle of, Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, you can't stay neutral in this spiritual battle, and if you try to remain neutral in the spiritual battle, then you're on the other side. Paul writes in Colossians, Jesus has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. And transferred us into into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You see, there's no middle ground in this life that we live. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. We are either in the kingdom of darkness, or we are in the kingdom of light. There is no middle ground, and to be neutral is to be in the darkness. And again, if we try to ignore the battle that we're in, and if we try to stay neutral in this spiritual battle, we will give the enemy a stronghold in your life. So what exactly is a stronghold. Well, the the word from the Greek that stronghold comes from can mean a couple of different things and both things apply. On one hand, a stronghold is a military term and it means a fortress. It's 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 tall walls, it's the high ground, it's a defensive posture. On the other hand, a stronghold is a prison and there's bars. And in a sense, they do two opposite things. The the stronghold that's a military forces keeps people out. The prison, it keeps people in. And if Satan has a stronghold in your life, then he keeps you in. He keeps you in bondage from moving forward and experiencing all that God has for you to experience. For example, when I was a kid, I had the chicken pox. And the bummer of it is that I I, I got the chicken pox the day school let out for spring break. So the only benefit of having the chicken pox missing school, I missed that. And on top of that, I didn't get to go play in spring break. And I remember standing in the den, looking out the window, and all the kids in the neighborhood played football in my front yard and climbed trees. were climbing trees, jumping out of trees, throwing up the football, running, tackling each other, and I was like on the inside in this prison watching them play, and I thought how did my life get so bad? I wasn't able to engage the life I wanted to engage and the people I wanted to, to run with because the chicken pox had a stronghold in my life. And we're not able to fulfill God's call upon our life. We're not able to walk in the anointing that He has for us. We're not able to pursue the relationships that He has for us. We're not able to walk in the freedom that He's purchased for us because a stronghold, not the chickenpox, but Satan or satanic influence, a demon, has a grip on our lives. It's a prison. It's also a fortress. It's a strong tower. And when Satan has a strong tower, when he has a stronghold in our life, it's a fortified territory that he's able to set up shop and wreak havoc in our lives. And you think, but hold on a second. I thought you said last week that the enemy's been defeated, that through the resurrection of Christ, we've won. We have. Satan has no power over us, sin and death has no power over us. Satan has been defeated, he's been detoothed. he's a toothless bulldog. He's all bark and no bite. He's good at barking and he can sometimes create fear in barking if we're not focused on Christ. He's a defeated enemy. Well, if he's a defeated enemy, all bark and no bite, then how can he develop a stronghold in our life? Satan can gain no ground in your life that you don't give him, and that's what a stronghold is. It's an area in your life that you've relinquished to Satan. Here it is in Ephesians 4, do not give the devil a foothold. That's the NIV, the ESV give no opportunity to the devil and the ASV, neither give place to the devil. And then we read on in verse 30 that if we do give opportunity, place, or a foothold to the devil that's a stronghold, then it grieves the Holy Spirit. So this is your life and this is my life. Picture it as a fortified house. I mean, there's walls all around it, taller than these walls, they're concrete, there's barbed wire, there's military, there's security camera, there's, there's automatic weapons, there's, there's electrical shocks if you touch the walls. I mean, it is fortified, state-of-the-art alarm system. There is no way that anybody or any force can penetrate this fortress. That's your house and that's my house. We are victorious over the enemy. However, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And you want to know know something? Satan stands at the door of your heart and knocks too. There is no way that Satan can penetrate your life or my life, but he does knock. And he develops a stronghold in our life when we open the door. He cannot break in, but we can open the door. And we can say, come on in. And then once Satan comes into our life, you better be certain he does not leave. You know, most Christians, their lives look like these fortified strongholds of righteousness. And there's a tunnel leading into the house with a secret hatch that only you and Satan and God know about. Most strongholds are results of compartmentalization. Because people can look at our lives or your lives and they can say, wow, I don't understand it. It looks so fortified. It looks so anointed. It looks so secure. It looks so powerful. I don't understand why items continue to go missing. I don't understand that the, the reason is it's a compartmentalized stronghold. You know what that secret tunnel is. What does the Holy Spirit quicken into your heart and mind? What is the secret tunnel in your life? What is the secret hatch in your life that only you and the Holy Spirit and God know about? And once Satan is in, once we've given him ground, once we've given him a foothold, once we've given him a place, he does not leave. Not Not without us dialing 911. And we'll learn how to do that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians... For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, again, to move things in the physical and visible world around us, we have to first touch things in the invisible and in the spiritual world. And that in turn will move things in the physical and visible. For the weapons of our warfare, And in the weapons of our warfare, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness last week. Today, we'll be talking about, as we continue to unpack this, wielding the sword of the Spirit. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And this whole thing of destroying strongholds and wielding the sword of the Spirit is in our minds. It's in our thought process. It's in our convictions. We must learn to take, as Paul goes on to say in pulling down strongholds, we must learn to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, let's take a look at our case study. As throughout this series in spiritual warfare. Yesterday, last week was an introduction, today we're really kicking it off. Uh, We're going to look at four Old Testament saints ...that had direct encounters with Satan. Today, as our case study, we will look at Eve. So if you would turn with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. And we will see how Eve gave Satan a stronghold in her life. He's crafty, he's good, he's sneaky, he's knocking on the door, he's a great salesman. He causes you to want to open the door or at least say, okay, I won't open the door, but I'll compartmentalize you, we can get a little secret tunnel going on. And then you can have a stronghold in my life that way. So let's take a look at how Satan knocked on the door of Eve's heart and developed a stronghold in her life, or how she actually gave a stronghold in her life, and incidentally in relation to Eve, know this, know this, know this, know this. We can never compartmentalize strongholds, and if you think you are carefully managing a stronghold, you're deceived. Jesus said, whatever is in secret will be brought to the light. We at first quite smugly manage dueling desires, the compartmentalizing of the strongholds, and then we eventually begin managing these dueling desires frantically until eventually everything that we thought we were controlling or managing spirals, out of our control wounding Everybody close to us. We cannot manage, we cannot compartmentalize strongholds. Jesus says that which is in secret, secret will be brought to light. And when it is brought to light, it wounds everybody and it threatens every blessing that God has given to you. Just look at the stronghold that Eve gave to Satan. And aren't we still paying the consequences for that? Is there grace? Is there mercy? Is there restoration? Yes. But is there incredible hurt for the people close to us? Yes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. And as we continue to preach through this and walk through this on spiritual strongholds, I want you to continue to be thinking about what stronghold have you perhaps given to Satan in your life or to demonic forces in your life. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. Now the serpent, this is Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, let's back up to chapter 2, verse 16, and look at the actual command. God said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if we could just push pause right here for, for a moment, is Eve really having a conversation with a snake? I believe so. I believe it's literal. However, if we do interpret Scripture with Scripture, we see that it is not uncommon throughout Scripture for a demonic influence, whether Satan or demons, to take up form inside creatures, animals, even humans. That's possession. But if you also recall that Jesus cast some demons into a herd of pigs. So the fact that demon, that Satan would possess a serpent in the Garden of Eden is no different than when Christ cast the demons into a pig. And we also see throughout the New Testament, for example, that Judas Iscariot was influenced by Satan. He obviously had some sort of conversation with Satan. However, I believe that it was an exchange in Judas's heart his desires, his mind, his thought process... until Judas finally, filled with Satan... decided to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And if you also recall, in Acts... Ananias and Sapphira lied when they gave their offering... and Peter said, how has Satan so filled your heart... that you would lie? Not to men, but to the Holy Spirit. And then they died. So we see that there is an exchange of conversation... perhaps in words... Perhaps literally, as it is in in Genesis chapter 3, or perhaps in thoughts and in desires, as was the case with Ananias and Sapphira and Judas. Whether it's a literal conversation with words or whether it's a conversation with thoughts and desires is not the point so much as the reality is that Satan does possess and he does influence. So let's look at this conversation. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Do you see how Eve suddenly twisted God's word? God said, you can eat from any tree except this one. And she said, she took away from God's freedom. God said, yeah, we can eat from the trees in the garden. She took the word any or freely out of it. We can freely eat. So she's already becoming the victim. But God said, she's telling the serpent, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now she's adding to the scripture. God said, he didn't say you can't touch it, but she's adding that, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to her eyes, and that there was to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And this is, I think, the saddest verse in all of Scripture. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? He's asking these rhetorical questions. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us insight to tear down any strongholds so that those who walked into this auditorium in bondage will leave in freedom, those who left... And condemnation will leave with fullness of joy in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's start with Satan's target. What was Satan's target in this encounter that he had with Eve? What is Satan's target when he encounters us? Here's his target, our mind. Satan targets your mind. He began asking her questions, and he began causing her doubt in her mind. Why is your spiritual battlefield in your mind? Here's how Paul phrases it, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace... For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are are in the flesh cannot please God. A few years ago, our youth had a fundraiser, and they cooked pancakes. And so after church, everybody was going to go down to the event room. And have pancakes and make a donation. So like three or four weeks, we were promoting pancakes. And we were talking about who's going to get the pancake mix. And I was standing up here saying how good the pancakes were going to be. And we were talking about pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. And I was on the internet looking for images of pancakes to post to encourage you to go to the pancake fundraiser. And you want to know, Saturday night before the pancake fundraiser, guess where I was? Denny's eating pancakes. <laughs> I couldn't wait any longer. And that's what happens when we focus our mind on something, that something will eventually begin to govern our lives. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Eve lost the battle as soon as she did not cast down that thought doubting God's word. The battle is over at that point. Martin Luther said, you can't prevent it if a bird lands on your nests if a bird lands on your head. But he said, you can prevent it from making a nest. So we have thoughts. Satan attacks us. That's not a sin. That's a temptation. Even Jesus was tempted, and yet he did not sin. So the thought and the temptation in and of itself is not a sin. The sin is the second thought. The sin is the lingering thought. The sin is looking back. The sin is not casting down that thought. Now, let's take a look at the Christ like mind. The wisdom that is from above, and if you have no strongholds in your life, and it is possible to not have strongholds in your life, it is possible to walk in complete freedom. If that is you, this is characteristic of your mind. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. These are all adjectives. Now, let's look at the Christ like spirit, the spirit, the personality, the, the disposition that is governed by Christ. The fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. These are the fruit of the spirit. So we have Christ like wisdom, and then we have the fruit of the spirit. Now watch how the Christ-like mind is described with adjectives, and the fruit of the Spirit is described with nouns. And there are about seven adjectives describing the Christ-like mind, and there are about nine nouns describing the Christ-like Spirit. Watch how you can crisscross any of these adjectives with any of these nouns, and there's perfect unity, there's perfect harmony. For example, you can have pure goodness, pure kindness, pure peace, pure joy, pure love, pure self-control. You can have gentle joy, gentle love, gentle peace, gentle patience. You can have merciful patience, merciful kindness, merciful goodness. You can have fruitful self-control, fruitful goodness, fruitful love, fruitful patience. You can have sincere love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, on and on and on. In other words, when Satan has no strongholds in our life, there's inner harmony. There's peace. There's order. There's life. But the moment Satan knocks and we open the door and invite him in, or worse, compartmentalize this stronghold, and I say it's worse because we're keeping it a secret. As soon as we compartmentalize a stronghold or just blatantly give Satan a stronghold in our life, then there is immediately disorder and chaos, which is why David prayed, oh God, give me an undivided heart. Let my mind and my heart be in sync, be one, be unified. He's praying for a life with no strongholds. But as soon as we have a stronghold, then there's conflicting desires with our thoughts. Our our, our mind wants one thing, and our spirit wants another. Our heart wants another thing, and our mind is wrestling against it. And that is a horrible quality of life, which is why Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Satan can directly knock on your door to begin messing with your mind to create disorder and disorganization and chaos between your heart and your mind and your your spirit. Or you can just watch TV. He's the prince of this air and he has so infiltrated our culture with immorality that he set things up to make it very difficult to have a mind that's set and stayed on the spirit that thinks only about things that are above. So Satan's target is your mind. Satan's weapon are lies. Jesus said about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him, none, none whatsoever. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks his own nature, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. And we read uh, John the Revelator's statement about him in Revelation. And the great dragon was thrown down in the serpent of old, a reference to Eve, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He only lies and he deceives and then Paul wrote to the church at Corinthians, and this applies to us today, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Here's how Satan plants seeds of deception. He makes you first doubt God's word. He said, did God really say? Second, he makes you deny God's word he plants seeds of doubt about God's word did God really say and then he begins denying God's word and she said well yeah God said that if we eat of this we will die and then Satan flat out denied it you will not die you see the digression from doubt to denying God's word and then Satan goes a step down and he then maligns God's heart he cast seeds of doubt in Eve's heart and mind that God's intentions towards her and Adam are good. He said, God is holding back on you. He just doesn't want you to be like Him because then you'll really be alive and, and He's holding out on you. And then at that point, she disregarded God's heart and God's word and she decided to make happiness happen for herself instead of trusting in God's timing and God's ways. And the result of that was a fallout the result of that was death a very sad statement in this is that their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked what's so sad about that is that the eyes of their flesh were opened the eyes of their spirit closed and it severed and it broke fellowship with god does satan have a stronghold in your mind is he causing you to doubt god's word is he twisting god's word Let's go back to the characteristics of a Christ-like mind in James chapter 3, verse 17. We saw that there were seven characteristics. Pure, peaceable, gentle, and treatable; merciful, fruitful, steadfast, sincere. And we think that the opposite of pure is what? Lustful. But if Satan can't turn you into a porn addict, then he'll just take you the other direction and turn you into a Pharisee. Either way, he's twisting purity. On one hand, the satanic opposite is lust. And on the other hand, the satanic perversion is being puritanical or pharisaical. Look at the characteristic of peaceable. If he can change it, deny it, and cause you to doubt it, and cause you to disregard God's heart so that he can have a stronghold in your life, then you'll become divisive. But on the other hand, you'll become passive. Look at the characteristic of a Christ-like mind of gentleness. It's gentle. If he can get a stronghold into your life, then he'll twist it so that rather than being gentle, you'll be abrasive and harsh. But if he can't twist it in that direction, then he'll simply twist it in the other direction and cause you to be timid. Or intreatable. He'll cause you to be closed-minded. Or merciful. The opposite is to be calloused or cold or the satanic perversion of that is to be insincere to be fruitful he'll twist it to be barren or fruitless or the satanic perversion is to be obsessed with numbers and success or steadfast he'll twist it the satanic opposite is to be fickle or twist it the other way the satanic perversion to be obstinate or truthful and sincere he'll twist it the satanic opposite to be deceitful Or he'll twist it in the other direction, the satanic perversion, to be abrasive or using truth as a weapon to tear people down. Satan's target is your mind. His weapon is lies to cause you to doubt and deny God's Word, and then to malign God's heart and motives towards you so that you take matters into your own hands and disregard God's will, God's Word, and God's heart. And then three, Satan's purpose in this is to keep you ignorant of the truth. I was going to put Satan's purpose is to develop strongholds in your life. It's one and the same. If Satan can keep you ignorant of truth, then you'll have a stronghold in your life. Or to have a stronghold in your life is to keep you ignorant of truth. Did you guys see the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio? Or you remember that? They would actually get in people's minds while they slept and mess with their dreams and plant thoughts. Well, towards the end of the movie, he was like in a dream, in a dream, within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. I mean, he was so deep within a dream. And that will kind of start messing with your mind so that you don't know if you're in dreamland or if you're in reality. So they would have a totem. In Leonardo DiCaprio's cat character, his totem was a spin-top toy. And as long as that spin-top toy was spinning, he knew he was still in a dream. But if it ever began wobbling and stopped spinning, he knew that he was in reality. Satan is so deceptive in messing with our heart and our mind, our emotions, and skewing God's truth, so it comes to the point, we in our five senses don't know what's real and don't know what's deception, and we don't know what's truth. So we have to have a totem. We have to have a spin top, and that's the Word of God. You can YouTube this video. It was a horrible joke played on Paris Hilton, and in this joke, um, she was in India, And she was in a plane. It was a small plane. And there was a camera crew there, and they played practical jokes on people. And this was the practical joke they played on Paris Hilton. She didn't know any of this was going to happen. They killed the engine of the small plane, and it started going down. And they all started screaming and acting like the plane was crashing, like the engines were gone. She was terrified. And then a door in the back of the plane opened up, and a guy screamed and Act like he was sucked out by the wind and fell out. Well, he he was an actor and he had on a parachute. And everyone was in hysterical and it was going down and she was mortified. She was terrified. Well, and then the engines kicked back on and they told her it was a practical joke and laughed and she didn't laugh. And she was infuriated and I think may have pursued legal action over that. Now, Satan can't kill us. I mean, he can't defeat us. He's defeated. He can't touch us. But he's very good at creating surroundings, at creating situations at creating false scenarios what is fear false evidence appearing real he's a master at creating false evidence that appears real so that we don't know what's true or what's not true the truth sets us free jesus said if you abide in my word you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth destroys tr- strongholds. 2 Corinthians ten three through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. But this is by taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, Eve already lost the battle when she began the dialogue with Satan. It was gone. She had no business conversing with him. She had no business having communication with him. She, she, she should have cast down that thought. When Satan initially asked her, did God really say Was that a sin? No, that was a temptation. But when she began having the dialogue, and that's when things started spiraling out of control. It was her mind focused on pancakes. She was toast. She was going to have some pancakes. She was going to eat that forbidden fruit. And so we cast down... These strongholds, these doubts, these conversations we have with Satan by making it sure that they submit to the Word of God. And if they don't submit to the Word of God, we focus on the Word of God and we focus those doubts out. The truth empowers us to stand. I really like this passage from Paul. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day? It's when everything comes against you like a flood from every side. I mean, you're welcome circumspectively and everything's hitting you at once. It's like the uh, Paris Hilton in the, in, the, in the small plane scenario. A- alarms are going. People are falling out of the plane. People are screaming. The engines aren't on. You don't know what's real, what's false. It's the day of evil. You have to take up the full armor of God. And having done all to stand... Now this isn't the best translation of this verse. This is a bear and granite, Kind of like a John Wayne Old Western. Just be tougher. You know, you get hit. Stand up. After have done done all, stand firm. That's not the best interpretation of this verse. This this, this next translation has the, 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 the better interpretation. So put on the full armor of God. When the evil day comes... You will be able to defend yourself, and when the battle is over, you will still be standing. You will still be standing, because all the smoke is going to fade away. The enemy's attack is going to come, and it's going to go. And as long as your mind is focused on the truth of Scripture, as long as your mind is focused on the promises of God's Word, the attack will come and the attack will go, and you will remain standing and everything part of the attack will have fallen by the wayside but you will remain standing so in the day of evil when Satan comes against you like a flood if you are not standing on a promise from God's word you will not remain standing that's why you have to abide that's why you have to stay in the word and then when a truth from God's Word applies to the day of evil. The day of evil is not your reality. The truth of God's Word is your reality. That is your reality. Stand firm. I was in Kenya with Brandon and Darnell. It's the orphanage. I have this system. I read five psalms a day. It was the seventh of the... You know, if it's the first of the month, I read Psalm 1 through 5. If it's the second, I read read Psalm 6 through 10. So I'm at the orphanage and spending time with the Lord. And I was going to go through the system. Okay, what five psalms am I going to read today? And I sense the Holy Spirit say, stop. Just let me give you the psalm. So... I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to read? And immediately, 35 came to my mind. So I read 35. And it had nothing to do with my situation. It had nothing to do with my life whatsoever. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes you you just get your signals crossed. It happens, you know. It was all about contending with those. God saying, I will contend with those who contend with you. And all this. And I thought, "Ah, oh, well. And then I prayed, okay, Lord, I'll do my little number crunching in my head. And if the last psalm I was supposed to read today is 35, I'll believe that that word is from you. And I said, well, what's today? It's the seven. Okay, seven times five is 35. I'm supposed to read Psalm 31 through 35. So I read the passage again. It still didn't make sense. We went to a pastor's conference. And it was one of those pastors' conferences where the Holy Spirit, I mean, showed up so that everybody was was on their knees worshiping. There was no other appropriate place to be. And there was this prophetic word going on up there and in my spirit. I said, Lord, if the very next thing that that guy says is, I will contend with those who contend with you, I will know that that word was from you. And the very next thing he said was something up to the effect of, I will contend with those who contend with you. I said, okay, Lord, I get it. I mean, I don't understand it, but I'll believe it. I'll hold on to it. As the months unfolded, that verse became very practical. And had I not been standing on the Word, embracing that as my reality rather than everything that was going going on against me, I assure you I would not have stood. We have to abide in the Word and let the Lord give us a promise. And when the Lord gives us a promise, we stand upon that promise. That is our reality. Your defense, the word. Your defense, the word. Let's go back to the house guest that you allowed to come into your fortified place. He's not leaving. You realize that he only wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you and your family. So, how do you get rid of him? Well, you have to dial 911. You have to get rid of this house guest in a very official manner. You have to dial 911. How do we do that? One, we have to repent of opportunities that you've given Satan we have to repent of opportunities that you've given Satan any opportunities that you've given Satan in, in any, any welcome mat any doormat, any ongoing dialogue any conversation any unholy fixation upon pancakes whatever it might be it can be an action or it can be a thought pattern whatever it is You have to repent of it. And if you're not truly tired of it, and if you're not truly sick of it, then what you need to do is repent of not being sick of it. And you need to say, God, I'm so sorry. I am so in bondage. And confess this to the Lord. I am so in bondage. That I'm not even sick of it. I'm so in bondage that I like the bondage. I'm so in bondage that I want to be free. And if you're not even sick of the bondage that you're in, if you're not even disgusted with the stronghold that you're in, then you are deep in bondage. You're in a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream, and you're a mess. And so you need to pray, oh God, I repent. I repent of this stronghold, and I repent of not being sick of this stronghold. God, change my desires. And He can. He can by His Holy Spirit. Let's just look at some of these doormats that we do lay out for Satan. In this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 through 30, when Paul introduces us to to this phrase of spiritual strongholds, let's take a look at some of these strongholds, some of these welcome mats, some of these doormats. Verse 27 give no opportunity to the devil well we back up in verse 25 and look at some of these opportunities therefore having put away all falsehood I mean a little white lie ladies and gentlemen a little white lie is a welcome mat for the enemy it's a doormat It's—it's it's, yes I've got a fortified house yes you can't touch me but this little white lie means Satan come on in Or maybe it's a secret lie. Maybe nobody knows it's a lie but you. Well, then it's a secret tunnel with a secret hatch that only you, Satan, and God knows about. And your life is compartmentalized, which makes a stronghold even stronger. Falsehood, lies are strongholds. It's a welcome map for the enemy. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. There's an angry where we do sin. Yes, there's a righteous anger, but there's an unrighteous anger And being angry and being temperamental is a welcome mat for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Stealing is a stronghold. And even if we don't give to the Lord of our tithes and offerings, that is stealing from God. God says, you've robbed me. That's a stronghold. And you wonder, why is my life not being blessed? Why can I never make ends meet? Why am I always financially frustrated? Because Satan has a stronghold in your life because you're stealing from, of all people, God but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that you have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, Cursing, vulgar talk, coarse joking, sarcastic talk, words of death, cynical talk that tears people down. Those are strongholds, those are welcome mats, inviting Satan into your life to fortify a place. Speak only things that build people up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And we go on to verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger be put away from you. Bitterness is a stronghold. You think, well, I've walked with God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying, and yet, and yet my life just isn't being blessed, and I'm frustrated. And I don't have joy. Well, there's bitterness in your heart. You're not letting somebody off the hook. Satan has a stronghold in your life. Slander. Like you see somebody, and you're like, hey, man, how's it going? What's up? And then when you're not around them, you talk bad about them. You talk negatively, that's slanderous. That's a stronghold in your life. It doesn't matter if they never find out that you spoke poorly about them, and it doesn't matter. The fact is if you slander, Satan knows, and he now has a stronghold in your life. It doesn't matter if nobody knows that you don't tithe. Satan knows. It's a stronghold. It's a satanic demonic stronghold in your life. It doesn't matter if nobody knows that you're bitter. Satan knows. It's an invitation. It's, it's leaving trash out. There's cockroaches in your life be kind tender hearted forgiving just as god forgave you we have to repent of opportunities that we've given to satan or repent of not even being sick of those opportunities that we've given to satan because then we're really in a bad condition and if you really want to be free if you really want to be free get a trusted brother or sister I mean, be, be sure they're trusted enough so whatever you tell them, you know, it's not going to be posted on Facebook, you know, that, that afternoon. A trusted brother or sister. The Bible says in James 5, confess your faults one to another and, you know, you pray for one another and you'll walk in freedom and healing. A trusted brother or sister to walk in complete freedom. Confess that stronghold to them. Pray together to walk free from that. Ta- pray together to get away from that stronghold. Pray together to have a desire to be disgusted with that stronghold and to long for life and light. And then, remember the cleansing of Christ. We overcome the attack of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony and loving not our lives unto death, but by the blood of the Lamb, we are cleansed. We have to remember that we're cleansed of all unrighteousness. We have to remember that we are not our stronghold. Did you hear that? You are not your stronghold. I respect AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, in that in part of their 12-step program, they acknowledge that in order to be free, you have to have a spiritual experience. It it is what it is. Strongholds are spiritual in nature. However, I I, I depart from AA when they just simply refer to a a higher power. It's Jesus Christ. And I furthermore defer from AA, which AA is awesome. I, I think the world of them. I would recommend them. But I furthermore depart from AA when they say that... My name is such and such, and I'm an alcoholic. You are not your stronghold. You are not an alcoholic. You are not a a drug addict. You are not a chemical abuser. You are not a sex addict. You are not a bitter person. If you're in Christ, you're a child of God. You're bought by the blood. You are forgiven. You are the very righteousness of Christ. And then we have to resist the devil the way Jesus showed us to resist. Notice how Eve improvised. Notice how Eve dialogued. Notice how Eve was curious. Jesus didn't do any of that when he was attacked in the wilderness by Satan. Same manner, Satan attacked Jesus' thoughts. If you are the Son of God, starting the questions, the doubts, Satan told Eve, did God really say, Uh, Satan told Jesus, if you are the Son of God, and then three back-to-back temptations. Every temptation, if you are the Son of God, Jesus countered with the truth of Scripture. He didn't talk about it. He didn't negotiate. He understood this was very serious. He simply said, "It is written." And then he quoted Scripture and he said, "Get thee behind me, Satan." In the same way, we don't think about it. We don't contemplate it. We find the truth from Scripture that's applicable to our temptation, and we say, "It is written," and we cast down strongholds and then forth. We have to renew our mind. How do we renew our minds? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. This is the Word of God. This is our lifeline. We have to be in it every day for a relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit will give you promises. Stand on those promises. Those are your lifeline. Would you stand with me, please? I can think of no better time to repent of a stronghold in your life than today. Would you bow your heads with me? I would like to lead you to walk in freedom. Throughout this talk, if you thought of an area in your life that is a stronghold, just bow your heads with me, but throughout this time, if you thought of an area in your life that Satan has a stronghold... Would you raise your hand? Okay. You know what that is. If you thought of the stronghold, you probably thought of the open door. You probably thought of the welcome mat that you laid out for Satan. You know, if you leave trash in your garage, man, it collects roaches and turns to worms and maggots, doesn't it? If we if we leave these open doors out, it just it it becomes even more infested with demonic area. We've got to turn the light on, we've got to throw the trash out, we've got to clean up. How do we do that? We repent it starts with repenting we have to repent we have to say God I turn from this and God I don't want this and I don't want to want this anymore if you can't say I don't want this and say God I don't want to want this anymore and then pray God change my heart repent and as you repent remember the cleansing blood of Christ as I open the service with let's it is finished Christ has paid for your sins you are the righteousness of God. You are forgiven. You are holy. And then commit to resisting the devil with the word of God. And staying close every day. It it really, it, it concerns me how many people, one, don't have Bibles. Two, don't open Bibles. Three, don't even know where their Bible is. Four, don't know when the last time they've read their Bible. You got to have it, man. It's got to feel right in your hand it's your sword it's the spirit you got to feel insecure if you're ever without it you got to know it you got to underline passages that the Holy Spirit spoke to you you got to memorize those passages you got to pray those promises back to God every single day so that when the smoke screen comes and goes you'll still be standing so if you have an area in your life that you can repent if there's a stronghold in your life And let's just respond right now Let's not be hearers of the word But let's be doers Let's repent With all of our heart And as we do Receive the cleansing blood of Jesus The altars are open